Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-Pack and 50% off a Caravan 10-foot by 10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale, in-store and online at cabelas.com. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the first of the Division Capsules. It's a feature that I did last year on Real GM Radio, and read, Reader Response was great to bring it back. What the idea is is to recap the offseason that just finished and preview the season that is upcoming. And so the episode is split in two, and this one is on the Southeast Division. And my guests are Mike Prada of SB Nation and the founder of Bullets Forever, and Robbie Calland of CBS Sports, and they both have knowledge of the teams in the area. It was a lot of fun to have them. The conversation is, yeah, it's pretty evenly split. It's a 50-minute conversation, about 25 on what just happened, and about 25 on the season to come. We also hit on some other Eastern Conference topics, including who's beating the Cavs or who has a shot at beating the Cavs and things like that. So, hope you enjoy it. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having us. So I, I think the place to start with this is a, is a more fundamental question, and I'll just start with, with Mike, is in this division, who do you think got better and who do you think got worse? Uh, I think everybody got better except for the Hawks. Sorry, Robbie. Uh, just think the Hawks lost to Mark Carroll. They've got major injury concerns with Kyle Korver and Cephalosha. And, you know, Tiago Sleet is a good addition, but I think they're worse. Everybody else, I think, you know, Miami – presumably will be healthier than last year. I think Washington, they discovered their new identity and they're going to play small more often, so they should be better as well. Charlotte, I think, you know, I'm not sure they're a great team, but replacing what Lance Stevenson was last year with what Nicholas Batum probably will be this year. He had a bad year last year too, but that's an upgrade. And Orlando's getting a new coach and more, you know, more experience with their young guys. So I think, I think four teams got better, and then only Atlanta, just because I think they were at such a high perch, got worse. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, you can't argue with that. I don't think the offseason – I've heard some people say that Atlanta had a borderline disastrous offseason just because they couldn't get Carroll back. and it's, it's more that people are just so down on Tim Hardaway Jr., understandably. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just depends – it really depends on what you think of Justin Holiday and what he can do um, as a legit role player in the NBA. Um, I think the Hawks will still be fine and still be – at the top of the division, along with Washington, I think those are your two teams with, you know, Miami's, I think, going to be in the conversation this year. Uh, a little, you know, kind of the way we thought they would be last year. I think a lot of people would jump the gun on Miami last year, thinking that they would be better than they were. Obviously, they had the injury concerns. But, yeah, uh, you know, I think Washington, uh, I like the Jared Dudley acquisition. I think he's he's um, he can come in and kind of be, one, he's a good locker room guy, which, you know, I think they needed somebody Paul Pierce leaving, I think they needed, you know, kind of a locker room guy to fill a little bit of that void. And then, uh, you know, they've got some some good players. Obviously, they have good players coming back with Wall and Beal and, you know, Miami. I like Justice Winslow. Um, I think he's going to be he's going to be pretty good. Uh, and then Orlando and Charlotte are in different versions of a rebuild. Uh, Charlotte's kind of taking a stab at it this year, trying to get themselves back in that eight seed area, hoping Nick Batum's something again. And then I like where Orlando's at. I think Orlando's the the team that's on the rise and has the best prospects in the next four or five years if they keep building along. I really like a lot of their guys. Yeah, so I think Atlanta's – I'm surprised you say that. I mean, they're offseason. Obviously, they lose Carroll. That's a big yeah. name. But, you know, my concern with them is not what they did this summer. Yeah, because the one guy you didn't mention that I think is actually a, a big addition if he stays healthy is Thiago Splitter. Yeah. Sure. You know? No, I, absolutely. I think he's going to be but, great. Yeah, the concern I have is that their two starting wing players are coming off really serious injuries. You know, Corver with his ankle and Cephalosha with his ankle. Uh, yeah, no, are I they, mean, I, I just have concerns that they're not going to be ready for the start of the year. And, you know, Corver is like maybe 10% less quick than he was last year. I think that that affects his game so much, and it affects Atlanta's offense so much. You know, a 10% drop in his effectiveness could really make a big difference. So, you know, that's the root of my concern. I think they'll be fine on the wing if they were all healthy. You know, I, they can replace Carroll with, you know, Cephalosa if he's healthy, Kent Bazemore, you didn't mention, could step up. I like I, Justin Holiday. I think he's a good player. I just... If Corver's a little worse, I think it really hurts them. Yeah, I mean, uh, my main concern is just Carroll took that step kind of last year, over the last year and a half, and he took such a big step and got himself paid, which I, I still think was just for what you're getting, Toronto overpaid, but Toronto kind of has to overpay anybody um, mm-hmm. just to get somebody. And I was happy for him, and he should get that money. But uh, I do think it, you know, I, I, Bays is – a 10-minute, 15-minute-a-night guy. I mean, we saw when he had to run a lot when Thabo got hurt. Uh, things went downhill pretty quickly. I mean, he's such a—he's just such an energy guy when those legs start to go a little bit when he plays 25 a night, 30 a night in successive nights. It's its not, it's not just he loses a lot. His form gets worse on a shot, and he just kind of loses some of his effectiveness and gambles a little more. I still like him as, as a role guy, but, I, you know, I do think losing Damari is – fairly significant just from a depth perspective. You know, if Thabo can come back and he's probably not going to be ready for the start of the season, like the very beginning, but if Thabo can come back in December and, um, 
be the Fabo that he was towards the end of the year before the injury, then yeah, I think they'll be okay. But there is, there is a depth issue, which we saw last year in the playoffs without Fabo that I still don't think Tim Hardaway or Justin Holiday uh, are quite there to, to fill that void. Splitter is going to be really good. I think the front court got vastly better by trading Paro out for uh, Splitter. That's a really good move. Yeah, the dynamic uh, with the Hawks, for me, that's so interesting is this is a team last year that was heavily reliant on their starting five, but their starting five was awesome. So you can do mm-hmm. that. You know, if your starting five is great, you can do that. But now their starting five got worse. I mean, whoever they replaced Carroll with is inferior to Carroll, which is fine. That's the way it is. Sure. But their depth is so much more interesting because Splitter is a legit player, so that means they're getting 48 good minutes at center, maybe even 48 great minutes at center. Mm-hmm. And Schroeder should be better. I mean, he's a young, young guy, still learning everything, still developing into his, you know, himself physically and mentally. So they have strength on the edges, and then what they're relying on is having some of that kind of group morass of swingmen to work out, and there's a, a distinct possibility of it. So it's it's a very different strength than this team had before. You know, I don't know if it's so different, actually. I'm going to slightly disagree with you. I mean, obviously the starting lineup as a whole, when you just kind of put them out there, is a really talented group. They play well together, and they don't have, like, that one single player. But last year, wasn't the complaint that they didn't play their starters enough, that they were kind of mixing and matching their bench too much, and that they would be better served just kind of playing their best five guys more minutes? They kind of tried to do the San Antonio, like, let's mix our guys so that we don't have any periods where there's a drop-off, you know, I think during the season. That was why I think Splitter's a big addition, because this third, the second center on that team is going to play a lot of minutes. I mean, ideally, you kind of split those three frontcourt players fairly evenly. I mean, that's Pontus mm-hmm. came in really early for Horford. You know this as well as anyone, Robbie. They're very conservative with Horford and foul trouble, probably too oh, conservative. Yeah. With that in mind, I actually don't know if the identity of the team is a, changes significantly. The problem they run into, again, I think, is just that they're just – all their starters are important. You know, if you lose one, it certainly affects the whole operation in, like, in a holistic way. If you look at the whole team, it's not just the five guys. But they're, I just think, so reliant on the way Korver plays. And if he's not himself, that's a big loss. I think the, the bench is better – as it is right now, and I think it doesn't change the way they look at themselves as a team and an organization too much. I think no. it's just a matter of they'll get the, one of those those guys to play the minutes that Carroll plays. They'll they'll figure that out, but you know it, it's just a, if, if Corver and Cephalosha are not themselves, it's I think a big loss. I don't think it's a real change with the team. I guess is what I'm saying in terms of their their style and the way they kind of organize their rotation. No, I don't. I don't think it's a change in the style. I think it actually is is a little better from that perspective. I mean, they were never gonna. That was the complaint, really, more in the playoffs because the bench was great in like January, but really it was it was and when we when they had Fabo and stuff. But the complaint was in the playoffs when they were playing guys thirty two a night, and that starting five was beating people by you know eight eight points per thirty six when they were on the floor or whatever, and when they were off the floor, the Hawks were getting be pretty bad so no I, I i agree i agree from that perspective but i do think you know i mean i i think the front court depth is better i hope dennis takes another step um because he's a really fun player i think again people kind of assume there's kind of a lineal 
type growth with these guys. And he took a huge step last year. Uh, like, an, like a huge step to go from a non NBA player to a legit NBA player. Uh, and I just don't know what the next step is. I think it might start going a little slower for him. Um, because he's on tape now. Last year was really his like rookie year from a playing standpoint. And so he's on tape now. Guys know how to attack him both defensively and offensively. So I think, you know, I'm, I've been kind of trying to temper the Dennis excitement just from the standpoint of he's going to be really good. We're pretty sure of that, but it, it might not be this year that he's, you know, that guy. Um, that's you my think, one concern. You think there's a, yeah, you think there's going to be any shooter key tension this year? I don't know. I just wonder. I don't, as, I don't think so. Those two, yeah, I think that's really going to be in the contract year because both of them have the contract year up after this year. Uh, I think they'll be okay this year. They've got a pretty good rapport between the two of them. I mean, when you spend time in the locker room with both speak well of the other and uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of tension. I mean, I think if Dennis gets off to a hot start, maybe you start to see that. And I really think it's just a matter of, does Dennis get it in his head that he should be playing more? Um, Teague's not a confrontational guy. I don't think it's going to come <laughs> from Jeff. Just knowing Jeff, that's not his style. But Dennis, you know, Dennis thinks highly of himself, which is a good thing and also a bad thing sometimes. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch if Dennis Dennis gets going. I mean, there's, there's a time last year there were, you know, neither one – it didn't seem like there was really tension, but, I mean, Bud would just ride Dennis for an entire fourth quarter. Like, he didn't have a problem doing that. He'd, yeah. bench, he'd bench Jeff. He didn't care. And uh, what, what's, what's hard, can you play them together? I've always seen that yeah. as if yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you're comfortable with that. Yeah, I'm fine with them. I'm fine with them playing together. And, and you know, I, I, it's it's actually kind of a nice little way when you have a smaller backcourt that they're facing. It's kind of a nice way to break up some of that, as you, as you kind of mentioned the swing man, we don't know who's – it kind of takes some of those minutes away that you don't have to put on Bays and uh, you don't have to put on Justin Holiday yet or Tim Hardaway yet. I think it's – when you have a smaller backcourt, because Dennis can kind of handle himself, it's going to be uh, – I think I think when you can put those two point guards on the floor, they work pretty well together. Jeff's done it before. I mean, Bud's made Jeff play with Shelvin Mack a lot, like two years ago. So Jeff doesn't have a problem with it. And I kind of like getting Jeff off the ball some – uh, let him spot up a little bit. It's kind of nice because he gets he kind of will bog it down a little bit. So uh, you can play them together, uh, you know, eight minutes a night if you need to to kind of keep those minutes high on both guys. But yeah, I mean, if Dennis if Dennis starts thinking that he's starting caliber, it's, it, that's where you could see him kind of get a little frustrated. And it's gonna be interesting to see how Bud handles that. I'm curious if one of them goes after like a couple games with a nagging injury and you see what happens to the other one. Although I guess that happened a little bit. That happened last year when Jeff January, yeah. uh, ankle thing or whatever. I think it was an ankle. Yeah. He rolled it. Uh, he rolled He rolled his ankle a couple times last year. Uh, and there were a couple times where Dennis was fantastic and came in and had like almost 20 tens, I think. He had a couple like 19 eights, uh, 16, 12 games. Uh, and he was great. And then there were some other times where he had seven turnovers uh, and was a kid. So I think that's where you saw. I think it was actually kind of helpful to see that last year. As you saw him in those tough spots, Bud ran him down the fourth quarter. 
and you could see the potential. You saw the times where he was fantastic, and then you also saw the times where he looked like a 20-year-old. One, one other off-season thing I wanted to talk about is mm-hmm. any opinions you guys had, I guess start with Robbie, of uh, it could be the best move, the worst move, or most interesting, just something, you, uh, a transaction that happened this summer that you thought was compelling. Oh, man, in this division, I, I mean, I think for me, I, I'm really interested to see what the hell Tim Hardaway can do. You know, I've talked to the front office guys about it. <laughs> they didn't – it was funny. They didn't really expect uh, the backlash they got on it, which I was like, man, you kind of traded the 15th pit for Tim Hardaway. Like, what did you expect? Uh, <laughs> they, they believe in the guy. They believe in him. They think he was in an awful situation in New York. Um, they think it was a terrible fit for him. They think he just wasn't learning how to play basketball, which they're probably right. Uh, but the question is, does the does the guy want to work to get better, or is he pretty content to shoot and be Tim Hardaway Jr.? You know, I, he's the only guy I've ever seen that heat checks a dunk with a three on the next possession. I've seen him do it like three <laughs> times against Atlanta, which is a small sample size. So if he's done that, that I, it, he's going to drive Bud nuts at times. And I'm, and you know, I mean, getting Fabo back will be good and having Justin holiday there where you can kind of be like, look, man, like you got to get together and play some defense and they're taking a gamble. This is, you know, Damari Carroll's a work, a, you know, a hard worker. I mean, that's what he prides himself on. Same with Kent Bazemore, the, the system and kind of their player development has worked for those two guys very well. This is your test of that. Do you have the culture that's going to make a guy work that maybe doesn't want to as much? Uh, a guy that, you know, Damari's going to spend all the time in the gym that you allow him. Uh, he would do like midnight sessions over the summer. Can you get Tim Hardaway to buy in and play hard on the defensive end and that sort of thing? And that's, for me, that's why it's the most intriguing in this division is just from an insider and outsider perspective, I want to see kind of how that works. Because I've seen it work for hardworking guys. I haven't seen it tested with a guy who maybe uh, doesn't have the work ethic of Damari or Kent Bazemore. And so I'm interested to see if they can get him to buy in. Uh, outside of that, Nick Batum's really interesting to me because he was really good, like, what, two or three years ago? Like we Years ago, about, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about, like, a one of the better 3 and D guys in the league, and all of a sudden last year he can't shoot. Really interested yeah, to see what he totally does. Yeah, weird. It was super weird. Well, he had a and, he had a wrist issue, from what I recall. Right, but you that know, I mean, like, he did. you know, if you if you grind through a wrist injury, sometimes it doesn't all the way come back. That's true. Um, I've had that. Well, right? and and I don't know with Batum. I I've had trouble since they made the move. I like a lot of their pieces. This is actually true of Orlando as well. But I I'm still not sure how they fit together. And like I've had some people yeah. tell me, oh, you you play Batum at the four, and that sounds fun to me. But they just drafted. I don't like that. <laughs> They just drafted Kaminsky. How are they going to play the team at the four? They have no guards. They have no guards. Yeah, exactly. Jeremy they Lamb becomes the guy that Oklahoma City drafted. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jeremy That's Lamb. That's right. Uh, I do, I yeah. do have him. Sure. Yeah, I was also – the team also intrigued me. You know, I, I've never been the biggest fan of his game. I just think he, mm-hmm. he's a little bit of a floater sometimes. There's some games where he looks lights out. He also has too many skills, and sometimes it doesn't always know what to do with all of them. Mm-hmm. So I, I've always wondered about the thing. I think is that actually he might fit in well there is that that offensive system is pretty structured. I think a couple things he does really well. He's very good at entry passes. So if you're going to play a post-oriented system, he's very good at kind of coming off the UCLA action, coming out to the wing, and then throwing the ball in the post. I think that's a positive, and I think. 
all the things he does will take some pressure off of Kid Gilchrist a little bit to kind of, yeah. he can now fill in the gaps a little more easily. You know, I, I envision them playing those two guys on the wing because I, I don't really see how else they're going to run their, they're going to structure their team. They have, right. geez, how many fours and fives do they have? They have Zeller, they have Kaminsky, they have they Tyler Hansbro, they, they have Marvin and, Williams. And they, they only have, have all one that's proven. The only one that's proven is Al Jefferson. Right. Oh, I guess Haas is proven yeah. in a different way. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know yeah. what Tyler Hansbrough is. Jesus, you know, the know. fact <laughs> that the Hawks have to play him four times a year. Okay, I'm going to hijack this real quick. Sure. Um, in light of the Geno Smith thing with the Jets getting punched in the face, is Hansbrough, oh, the, most punch- is Hansbrough the most punchable dude in an NBA locker room? Like I, I don't yes. think so. You know what's like, funny? Who is who it, who as soon as you said the word punch, I thought about Batum on Juan Carlos Navarro, <laughs> which is a moment uh, that, well, that everyone forgets. Yeah. That was a punch of some kind. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. a different I mean, kind. Of, it, it was, was like a, a hammer punch. Right. It was a downward thrusting punch to the nether regions. Uh, I'm talking about like punch right? Like he was, he was like, he kind of spun it around and wound up. Yeah, he ran halfway across the court to do it. Like yeah. th- that moment, yeah. like that's one of those. If that had happened like three years later, when basketball Twitter was a little bit bigger and games, were, those kind of random games were being broadcast, that would have been such a bigger thing. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I guess what you're saying is that Tyler Hansbrough should wear a cup during practice. Yeah, and yeah. A, and, and, a fa- and, a fa- and a face cup. Face cup. I believe they call those masks. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to pull some players to see who they think is the most punchable person that- in the league. You know, that would be fun to do on, like, an anonymous tip. They should do that instead of the, like, what player gets the most from the least thing. They should do something like that. Dude, the player awards. That's this true. Is a new Imagine player him award. having to come up and, and receive that except, honor at the, uh, at the Las Vegas Banquet. <laughs> he to- he'd, he'd own it, though. It. He'd totally own it. Oh, my God, yeah. But, like, I, I'm, I'm just they, trying to think, is there anyone who can give him, like, a, a trophy with? Would they give him a trophy with, like, a boxing glove? Yeah, it's got to be that. Well, so are we talking about face and demeanor? Because I feel like... I'm just, that's what I'm saying. I'm, just I saying, think, I'm not like, saying, like, you look... The, like, not, like... The total package. Because isn't, a... isn't Chris Paul in that conversation, too? Like, I feel yeah. like... I feel like Chris Paul... Every single player who plays against Chris Paul in a seven-game series wants him dead. I mean, like, oh, Patrick Beverly's I, up there? Yeah, Patrick Beverly's up there. I, I, I'm almost now... I almost now feel bad about having this conversation because they all... Maybe they're all delightful human beings that... Oh, yeah. I've had some great conversations here. with Chris Paul. I've had some really wonderful conversations with Chris Paul, but playing against him would make me want to kill him. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, look, I'm just, I'm just asking, like, if, like, who is, who would least surprise you if you heard they got their their jaw broken in like a locker room <laughs> fight? Like, if you heard that, who would be the least surprising guy in the league to have gotten his jaw broken? Maybe who would be the least surprising to have broken the other person's jaw? I think it's Lance Stevenson and Chris Paul. I, I feel like. Chris... Oh my God! I forgot they're playing together. Yeah, yeah, but so is Chris Paul like as insufferable when he's not on the court though? No, I mean, you know, I feel like he, he, to, he might not be court. in the locker room, but in the practice court, I can imagine he's insane. Yeah, yeah, I, bet I would that's... say it would have to be on the court. I mean, didn't Lance Stevenson supposedly get into a fight with Evan Turner? Oh, that doesn't surprise me. That's at another guy who's up there, big... by the way. I'm a be honest, like that would be that should have been like a Rocky Three moment where they both knock each other out. That probably would have helped out that team. <laughs> uh, anywho, 
yeah, um, yeah that's we'll, that just a fun little question. Yeah, well, let's transition into uh, the rookie in this that you're most excited to see. I separate that from best because rookies aren't supposed to be good, but who you're most excited to see play. Can I take this one? Oh, I think there's only one. There's only there's, one answer. I it's think, it's, Mar- uh, it's Mario Hazonia. Yeah, it has that's to be it. Mario. That's oh, it's not Kelly exciting. Oubre. <laughs> no, nobody gives. No, no, it's it's his. <laughs> he I mean, said play, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I I love. I'm a member. There are only two that are gonna play, or three that are gonna play, and nobody nobody wants to nobody wants to watch Frank Kaminsky. Like nobody's like psyched that Frank Kaminsky hits the floor. Justice Winslow would be it if not for the fact that Mario Zonia. Just like I was enthralled watching him play summer league games in Orlando. Like he was exciting then. And if you can make me somewhat excited to watch summer league basketball, like, yeah, I'm in. Like there were only like three guys in Vegas that I was like that with. And by the end I was over them. So yeah, I'm super excited about this. Speaking of people who may their teammates may want to punch at some point. Ooh. Yeah. Just saying. That one's How do we know that that Aaron Gordon injury wasn't Mario's own doing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and yeah. what's fun about Hazonia as somebody who's watched him for years is that he can come out of nowhere at moments. You know, like he'll just all of a sudden he'll just like dunk on someone, and you'll just be sitting there like, "Wait, that just happened!" And he because he has the physical ability, and what makes him different than a guy like Gerald Green is that he has the confidence and the swagger already. I mean, he's played in the second best league in, in in the world. He's done a good job there. He'll take a he'll take a thirty five footer if he feels he'll make it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is like I think my he also just doesn't care what anybody thinks, which is just fantastic. Like. I mean, I'm sure y'all have seen, like, the the very end of a blowout game, he, like, strips the guy and, like, mm-hmm. runs down the sideline and does, like, a windmill dunk with one second on the clock. Like, that's a hero yeah. move for me. Like, that was when I was all in. That's my guy. Yeah, I mean, the concern I'd have is that he'll drive Scott Skiles so crazy that he won't play enough. That's also a concern, but that's also an interesting storyline to follow. He's definitely the most interesting rookie in the Southeast Division. Part of that is because, yeah. like, one of them's not going to play, Kelly. Uh, one team doesn't have one, Hawks. Well, and what then, about Justice? I mean, Justice, Justice is, is interesting. Justice is probably going to be the best, uh, just because situation, I think, is best for him. Like, Hazonia might actually have to, like, do a lot in Orlando. Like, he, I mean, like, depending on what group he plays with. Uh, if he plays with that second unit and, like, Elf and Depot aren't really on the floor, like, he might actually have to create a lot more. So, eh, Justice is in a really good spot. Yeah, I think know? Justice might – He's going to be good. He could have I a think. playoff moment as early as this as this season. Possibly. Yeah, I mean, like, well, I, like I'm gonna, I like Justice a fair I'm going to slightly disagree that Pazonia is in a better spot than Winslow. I think he need Winslow really badly to be a competent player because – I just think the wing depth is really not quite there. I mean, you have to assume that Wade's going to miss a bunch of games. Well, yeah, injury. he's missing 25. Yeah, you just have he's to assume that he's going to miss a couple. Right, so you have to he's assume a, that in, in those 20-something games, you're going to need Winslow to start. Luol Deng is getting up there. I think he tailed, I think he declined a little bit last year, especially defensively. They have Gerald Green, but he's kind of more of like a use-in-case-of-emergency type of piece. I don't think you uh, break you know, the glass on the bench, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I don't think he's the kind of guy that you can hold down like a starting job for half the for a quarter of the season. Mm. They need Winslow to be 
ready to go right away. I, I think there's a lot of pressure on him. And the other thing is that there's a lot more – that team is really in win-now mode. They've got to yeah. be good this year because you look at their, their books, they're really mm-hmm. building towards something big right now. He's going to be, have to play in more high-profile spots. I mean, he can handle it. I'm just, I just think it's sure. – you know, Hazonia, they have a lot of options on the wing, you know, even though they're not a good team. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to play – he doesn't have to start. You know, they have some vets in behind their start, their two young guards, who I think are going to play a lot. They need those guys to develop. You know, they don't need – if he's great, I think it's important for their long-term future, but I don't think they really need him to show a lot right away. I think Miami needs Winslow to be able to step right in and give him quality minutes right away. I mean, that's fair. I just think Winslow will have the better season is really all this. Like, not like, not like you know, Hazonia's needed more, but I just think he's going to have more – I don't know. I, the the way, just the way he plays feels like. I mean, like you said with Skiles, it just feels like there could, could be some uh, bumping ahead's on um, what he decides to do on the court. But yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right on. You, that's a that's a fair point on Justice. You know, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm not in Miami. I just don't think about them as a win now team. But you're right, the way they built themselves. Well, yeah, I mean, Miami has a really complicated situation because of Hassan Whiteside, and we don't need to get into that. But, yeah, they have pressure, and they're in a situation where they have a lot of open flexibility next year, and Miami, with that flexibility, is a very different beast than a lot of other teams. And so what they want to do with that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is, but I also think that flexibility is dependent on Dwayne Wade kind of taking another one for the team next year. And like you said, the white side situation is, you know, that that's difficult. They're going to have a lot of trouble keeping him. You know, I, just the way they have – they're an old team. They, I think they're going to be very good, but they, I think they better be very good because, mm-hmm. you know, the starting lineup – let me look at their ages real quick. I mean, Dragic is, what, 29? Um, that sounds about right. Wade is, Wade is getting up there. Luol Deng is, I want to say, in his early – He's 30. 30. Chris Bosch is 31, I think. And, you know, they have Whiteside's younger, but... Whiteside's Whiteside's 26. He's not that young for what he is. He's just... He was such an insanely late bloomer that, like, he... Right. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, so... and, And not only that, but you have the pressure of having Dragic and Bosch under contract, and unless you're going to do something really big to move them. The reason why I say that is there's always a possibility that they're going to be a, a Durant destination just because guys have gone to Miami before. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's As a Wizards fan, Miami is a team I fear in the Durant thing, just because it's Miami. So I, there's definitely that's definitely true. But even Durant, I think, is not going to go there unless they look good this year. You know, they have to be good, and they, and they have again. They're they're old. They were bad defensively last year. You know, as, as promising as Whiteside is, they're a much better defensive team when he was on the bench last year. You look at the on-off numbers; it's still not clear if he's good in a way that a playoff team needs him to be good. Mm-hmm. Like he's solid. You know, it, that's still I think kind of unclear. So it's nice that they have Nick Roberts as security blanket to bring back. Whiteside doesn't really progress, but then you lose rim protection, and then you have to, I think, change your defensive style again. That, to me, is why they need Winslow to be able to step in and inject some youth into that team and athleticism and something different, a new a new edge. I just think that's, that's super important for them with where they are. You know, this is a really a make-or-break year for their future. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, I, I agree with that. Uh, so we'll, we'll move on a little bit to the season preview, and I guess start with Mike. Uh, if you you can, I was thinking of it in terms of regular season record, but you can use whatever rationale you want as long as you explain it. Of ranking these teams one to five. Yeah, I think Miami is the best team in this division. I just think they're when they're at full capacity health wise, their offense is going to be really difficult to stop. I mean, you're combining the pick and roll abilities of Dragic, the pick and pop abilities of Bosch. You know, the slashing of Wade, so the creativity, and Whiteside is such a great role for it. Just imagine some of the three-man action they can have with Bosch, Dragic, and, and Whiteside. You know, they're a little short on shooting, but they're creative enough to match that, I think. And now, you know, they don't trade anyone. They have, I, I think, a decent, the potential to have a decent bench with Mario Chalmers as the third guard, to have Gerald Green and Winslow on the wing, and McRoberts back up front, I think that's an important addition. They still have it's one of if one of Udonis Haslam, Chris Anderson, and Marge Stoudemire can give them some minutes, they'll have a, a decent fourth pick. It's just I just have I have questions about their defense. I don't know if they're gonna be a good defensive team, but they could be, you know, second or third in offensive efficiency when it's all said and done. Yeah. No, go ahead, one through five. Oh, and keep going? Okay, yeah. so I think they're one. I <laughs> I'm think not Washington is... you pick for pick right now. I'll give my five actually. All right. I mean, Washington is two. I think they will play the same style all, small all year. I think they're definitely talking about doing that more often, which is about time. You know, so I will tell a little better about them before Dudley had his back issues. I think that's going to be a critical loss. They're a little short on bench room protection. They have some good wings. I, I just I wonder they're going to we're going to see a lot of Drew Gooden and Chris Humphreys, and you know we'll see how that plays out. I think the optimism for them is that their young three, Wall, Beal, and Porter, should all be much better. I think Beal's going to have a breakout year this year. With he's got a clean summer with no injuries. Hopefully he doesn't suffer one in training camp. You know, I think he got a lot of confidence in the playoffs. I think they finally figured out that if they open the floor a little more, they make life easier for those players. They could be number one. I just think Miami's offense is going to be too good. Uh, I think Atlanta is three, and I think probably closer to Charlotte than I would say to Washington. I think it's a bit of a bold prediction. I just have a lot of concerns about Corver and Cephalosha's injuries. I just think that those are real killers if uh, if they're not back to 100% quickly. So, and I think Charlotte will be improved. I think they'll push for a playoff spot. I like Patum, Kate Jokic as a wing combo. I think they will be better. I mean, just just not having last year's Lance Stevenson on the rotation will make a big difference for them. He was just terrible for them. And then I still think Orlando's a year away instead. I still think the Hawks are the best team in the division. I I don't have the same concerns about the injuries. Like I understand them. Uh, I think Fab will be back. Fab was the one I have the more concerns about. Like Corver. I just, like, the way I've seen him work and, like, the shape he keeps himself in, I have a hard time thinking he's not going to come back from that. Like, I know he's getting up there in age, but, I mean, he's in better shape now than he was five, eight years ago um, when he first came in the league. So I, I don't have as many concerns about Corver. I understand the Fabo concerns, but I, I think that three-man – Rotation, like I think they take a slight step back losing tomorrow, but I don't think it's as big as everybody's been saying. So, like I'm still gonna take Atlanta just because that three man rotation in the front court's as good as you're gonna find. To be honest, I mean Horford, Millsap, and Splitter, that's really good. 
I like Teague. I think Dennis takes a little small step, not a huge one, um, but he's a really solid backup point guard. And, you know, you, you hope the wing thing figures out. I'm a believer in Justin Holiday. I don't think the step back's nearly as big as a lot of people are projecting. That's just me. Um, and then how about between Miami, Miami, and the Wizards? Man, that's a freaking toss-up. Is like, it? Like, you can say that. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, like, my <laughs> thing, I think that's 2A, 2B. I mean, honestly, I think all three teams are really close at this point. I think the Hawks step back uh, is more putting them right in that range. Like, I don't think the Wizards or the Heat take – the Heat will take a big step forward from what they were last year because people will be healthy. Um, but Wade's not going to be healthy all year. He just doesn't do that. I have big concerns about the defense. I just – don't like I look at those pieces and I'm not 100% sure what they do defensively um, and if they're able to really stop people I agree the offense has the potential to be really good um, with what Dragic and uh, Bosch can do so like my concerns with them are defense my concerns with Washington is I think I mean really it's not even concerning I just think they are what they are were last year for the most part like I think they maybe are slightly better but not really record wise I think all those te- those three teams are all going to be fighting for like the three through seven spots in the East. To be honest, maybe the two. You know, I just the East is such a weird kind of clustering behind the Cavs. You know, I think those three teams are all kind of in the same area. And the Hawks, I, I'm just going to keep them right there because I kind of know a little more, um, and I trust Horford and Millsap and Splitter a little more than any other trio. And I know. Wall and Beal are good. I'm not as high on Beal as everybody else. People can slam me for that. But he's a good player. But I don't think he's like a, a superstar player, and I don't think he's going to get there this year. Um, and then I, I agree. I think it's Charlotte addition by subtraction with Lance Stevenson. Interesting to see how they do with Batum and them. And then Orlando's going to be maybe the most fun team to watch, but they're going to be bad yeah. again. Like they're going to be – I love Oladipo. I love Alfred Payton, even though he killed my Georgia State Panthers when he was at Louisiana, and obviously Hazonia, and they've got so many fun pieces. Tobias Harris is really good. And they're just not there yet. It's going to be interesting to see how Skiles kind of works those guys around and gets them to play some defense, but that's that's what I see. I mean, like, I could totally see the Hawks maybe taking a step back, but I, I just – I think Corver will be fine. I think that I have a lot more faith in Corver being Kyle than Mike does. Yeah, I, I think uh, my my opinion is right between the two of you, is that I think Miami is the best team in talent, but we won't see it as often, so Atlanta will finish with the best record. Mm-hmm. Because th- we just won't see that Miami team very often in the regular season. I don't think they care as much about that as long as they're in it, and they will be in it. And and as you guys said, it's it, the three of them are really close, but if I had to pick, I'd say it's Atlanta, Miami, Washington, but I, I wouldn't be surprised in any order. Then Charlotte, Orlando. I think Orlando is going to have a struggle, but if the what people forget about with this Orlando team, because they're really young, is they were horrible defensively last year. Mm-hmm. And that not only are they more experienced, but they have a way better coach for that now. So if they can step up the defense to even like a league average level or close to that for a portion of the season, I don't think they'll be good, but they'll be a whole lot better. And what They're going to be really annoying to play every year. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like and they're just going to fr- – like they frustrated the hell out of the Hawks last year. Like they're just – they just have pieces that on any given night, if like three of them click – you could lose, you know. I mean, like yeah. if Depot figures it out, if Depot's shooting well that night, and Tobias Harris is knocking down corner threes in the mid range, and Elf isn't 
turning it over, like they're trouble. <laughs> and Vucevic and yeah, Vucevic. But, but what it's helped? a big jump from 25 wins to the playoffs, even in the No, no, no. I'm saying like yeah. they're – what I'm saying is they're going to be really annoying to play. Yeah. Um, and, and also – like they're still going to be wildly inconsistent. And also almost all I of the non-playoff that. teams in the East got substantially better, other than the Sixers and the Pacers. And the Pacers are going to have Paul George, so you could argue that he alone will make them substantially better. So there will be teams like the Nets that will probably fall back, but – they're going to be facing a more competitive group. That isn't to say that they'll, you know, they'll lose games. It's just there are going to be less comparatively easy wins on this, on the schedule than there were last year. Sure. We say that every year, though. There's always something that happens. Someone gets hurt, and or well, yeah, I mean, much worse than we think. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like that there's always going to be somebody that just falls off. Like what happens if you know Milwaukee suffers some bad injuries or. You know, there's always something. Uh, oh, so definitely be more prepared to play every night. I think there, yeah. there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a kind of a crystal ball feel with them. You never know. You never really knew which answer you were getting on a given night. That's a bad analogy, but let's roll with it anyway. Yeah. But so what? What I've been <laughs> thinking about chocolates. That was what I was looking for. I there you go. Can't think there of it yeah. Crystal ball. I was like, crystal ball means you can see the future. That's the opposite. Yeah, box <laughs> chocolate. What, what you're what get. I was going for. Okay. Uh, I was gonna let you cook, Mike. Yeah, we, so I think that we're all probably in agreement in terms of how many playoff teams this division's going to get, regardless three. of the order. Yeah, three. I, mean, I think, I think Charlotte's going to be going to be close. Yeah, I think sure they'll be close too. Exactly. I'm not sure if I I like them. I like them more than Indiana. Yeah, I'm, I'm for the 700th straight off season. I'm way too high on Detroit, so I'm just going to have to adjust <laughs> that that bias. Uh, Check so, it at the door, Mike. <laughs> so I'm. There's them. I'm, just, I'm not wild about what Indiana is doing as a short-term play. I think, you know, long-term it might make sense, but the, this team is, this team is like no competent big man. So I think they'll be better than them. You know, we'll see with Boston. You know, they certainly have, they have guards, pieces, but they have a lot of pieces. I don't they know. They have a lot of power gonna... forwards too. They have guards and stretch force. You know, I don't know and if they're going to duplicate what they else. did last year. We know Brooklyn's going to be, I think, a lot worse. Oh, they're gonna be terrible. You know, on, on the on the in the grand scheme of things, so I, I think there's a chance Charlotte sneaks in there. You know, I think it, they yeah, had I a mean, lot of injuries last year. Sure, it's three for sure. When they also had Lance, so I think I think we're pretty set. The three get in somewhere between the two to seven mark, and then like you said, I mean Charlotte could fight for that. And the Atlantic's still the Atlantic, so you got Toronto, and then yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and so you, you have that, like, there's a weird pocket around that eight spot, but the other reason why I think it might be three is that if a team is going to fall out due to injury, it very well could be one of those three. You know, if, sure. if John Wall misses, you know, like 30 games, the Wizards could fall out. Yeah, I mean, if if any of them. Oh, yeah. Big guy. I mean, like, it's so hard to project, project those injury things. I mean, I just, yeah, you're right, though. I mean, if... Any of those three teams suffer significant. I think the Heat are kind of you expect Wade, but if Bosch missed extended or time Dragic. again, if Dragic misses, if Dragic, time, I think oh, they're, they're in trouble. They have to run Chalmers all night. Lord have mercy. Yeah, I mean it's hard to predict injuries, but yeah, uh, it's certainly those, it's those three teams are <laughs> those three teams are a little vulnerable. Do you think? Who, do you think any of these teams can be the number the second best team in the East? 
Sure, I think it's possi- yeah, I, think- I think it's a possibility. Chicago is going to have a lot to adjust to because they have a new coach and he might be running a very different rotation. And all of these teams, even with Damari, like when you think about it on the continuity scale, these teams have more continuity than pretty much anybody mm-hmm. anywhere else. So if one of them does well early on, and they're all good, so yeah, I think there's a very reasonable chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, think, I think they'll be. Yeah, you're really high on Miami. My- you're well, I just really think, high I just think that I mean, I get nobody's going to be able to guard them, yeah. but I just think that nobody's going to oh, be able to guard good. them. And they have, you know, like, Amari, I, they have Amari, too. He could provide, you know, 15 minutes a game for them that would be useful and do something that other teams don't have. I'd love to see, like, a productive Amari off the bench. Yeah, just, like, awesome. ride off in the sunset as, like, a good role player. Well, and, like, he's, he's one of the guys that will accept that. I, I certainly don't want to see Bosch get hurt, but if Bosch, like, misses games to a turned ankle and we get, like, one like, real throwback Amari game, I would just be pumped. Super pumped. That'd be awesome. Just, like, a 30-point 30, 30 night from Amari. So, Mike, Mid, I have one... Mid-January. I, I have one question for you, Mike. Are we going to see the more creative playoff Whitman in the regular season this year? I think so. I mean, they're going to play small more often. They've talked about it. They build a roster that makes sense for it. You know, I don't know if small... They know now that the Nene-Gortzap pairing is not really getting the most out of both players on offense. And I think they – I don't know if they saved it for the playoffs. I don't really know if I totally buy that narrative. But I think it was a, a, a instructive moment to see how successful they were in the playoffs. I mean, I don't know how much to what extreme they're going to push it, with, especially with Dudley injured. Like, what I think you're going to probably see is a lot more – Drew Gooden playing at the four and stretching out, and him and Dudley will kind of take a lot of those minutes. They're going to try to make Nene a back center. We'll see how that goes. I think the, the other thing that I think it showed is that if you give Otto Porter a little bit of space, you can really open up his game. So, I yeah, I think they're going to be look very different, you know, next year. They, they also, the, the other big thing is Gortat was just so much more productive when there was space around him. I, so, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of it. They, they've talked about it publicly. I think that they are changing their style. Uh, just on the general Eastern Conference thing, and we can leave on this, what team do you guys think ha- has the best chance of knocking off Cleveland in the Eastern Conference in a seven-game series? I would say Miami. Wow. I don't think they could defend them. I'm not saying they do it. I just think they'd have the best chance. Sure. I think it's, it's a big drop. You know, Chicago is the other team I thought about, but I, I just don't know if they have enough wing stuff in the wing. And I, I'm not, I'm just, with Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah really in decline, I just don't know if they can be as dangerous if those two guys play like they did last year. Yeah. Uh, so I would probably say Miami. But Washington's yeah. not a bad choice either. I just don't think anybody can. Uh, <laughs> force of, like, honestly, like, you look at the, like, the gap is just, I feel like it's just so wide. Like, Chicago, if Derrick Rose is what we, what everybody seems to think Derrick Rose is, which I'm, he just hasn't been. You know, you get a really good Derrick Rose series. You get, maybe, maybe Hoiberg's able to keep Joe Kim a little fresher this year and not, like, run him into the ground so he's not dead for the playoffs. I don't know. I like Bobby Portis. He can shoot a little bit. Chicago uh, had their chance, I think. I think man, Chicago yeah, had their chance last year, and they blew I it. Just, 
I just can't see it, man. Then the the other question, and this will dig at Robbie a little bit, excluding LeBron, how many starters could the Cavs lose and still win the Eastern Conference? Uh, at least two, I think. I think it depends on who they are. A little bit, right? If they if if they theoretically, let's say they lost, let's say they again lost Love and Kyrie for the entire Eastern Conference playoffs, and I think that would they still be the favorites? Yeah, they're the favorites. I think it would be interesting. They're still the favorites. You have LeBron James on the Kyrie basketball floor. Kevin Love. If you have LeBron James on the basketball floor, you're the favorite. I'm not, that doesn't mean they necessarily win, but I'm just saying, like, I'm just thinking purely from a, like, if I'm setting odds, if, I, if, if I'm running a book, they are still slight favorites every game, like minus 150. Like, they're, they're I, still laying juice. I just from having LeBron. I don't think it's, Just from having LeBron. I, I don't, I'm going to disagree with that. I just think one of these teams, is, if everything breaks right for them, I think could challenge them in that situation. You know, Miami stays healthy. If uh, Washington's young guys take the next step, if uh, Atlanta recovers well, they have certainly in the front court Atlanta. Mm-hmm. If Milwaukee takes a step forward, even I, I'm not saying if they lost Love and Kyrie, I don't think they could duplicate what they did last year. But you know, they certainly have a fire's chance. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if like I wouldn't bet them as the favorite. But what I'm saying is, I just think. They'd be put as the favorite. I would put, yeah, they'd get put as the favorites. Still, yeah. uh, you know, unless well, unless somebody right. like Atlanta, unless somebody like, uh, and not even Atlanta because nobody cares about Atlanta uh, enough to bet them. We <laughs> saw that last year. I think it'd be Miami or Chicago. It would, it would have to be Miami, Chicago, or even Washington has like a really good year and wins the one seed for like the Cavs not to be favored. The Cavs were favored all throughout, despite being the two seed. And so, obviously, the Hawks lost Thabo, but, like, even with Thabo, it doesn't matter. They get swept. So, I, I just can't see anybody getting put as the favorite unless somebody blows out of the water and has a 60-win season that we don't see coming. And the Cavs win, like, 57 again. So, like last year, then. Yeah, exactly like last year, but it can't be the Hawks. Because nobody cares enough to bet the Hawks. No one bet well, the Hawks. Well, the other thing year. is that nobody. If, imagine if it was the Knicks. Nobody. Oh my God. I would. I would love that. To be honest, I would love the Knicks mm. to set the league on fire. Like it would be really funny because they, you know, they'd lose in the second round. You know they. I'm gonna do say Ixnay on the on the on the Knicks. Oh, there's no chance of fire being interesting. Well, of course, of course not. I oh, was just saying fun. it would be fun. Oh, you, no, you, I'm you saying know. I don't think it would be that. I don't think it would be as fun. I think that it would be, be fun. really obnoxious about it. That's where he's oh, come on. It would be hilarious. I'd love I, watching Nick's I, I, Twitter get built up only to fail. Come on. They deserve that at the least. Like Chris Dabbs <laughs> is like too averaging much crap a triple-double. Like Chris Dabbs is Oscar Robertson. Melo makes an all-NBA team. Yeah. Mello's amazing. Chris Stapps is this like incredible and is like averaging like twenty and ten. Like that would be fun. It really, just really for me, it has to involve Chris Stapps being really good because like I really like watching him play and he's kind of goofy looking. And like somehow they actually find guards <laughs> that can play basketball. It's not gonna happen. No. Like the more we talk not. about it, the more ridiculous it seems. <laughs> but it would be I mean, fun. It would really be fun. Me, I guess. It would be really fun. I, you, you could cover all the games. It'd be great. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, you, I, Mike, I'd be more Mike, Mike Prater live from live from MSG every night. 
Yeah, be yeah I guess so. I'd, I'd, I'd be... Uh, I'd be more interested in the Bucks getting awesome, but oh, that'd be fun. I'd say that. Well, the Bucks would I'd be see your really point. fun, but I just can't. I like. I just think that it'd be really fun. Just I don't know. I was. I don't think I was on Twitter last time. The Knicks were good, so like I just haven't well, seen Lin's, it. Lin, well, I mean, Lin's, Lin's, Lin's Lin's Sanity, they weren't even ago? that good. That, oh no, they Lin's were good. Sanity, they were good. Insanity was great. Insanity was incredible, but I wasn't like deep in it. I don't think. Maybe I was. Maybe well, about, uh, that what about when they won 54 games two years ago? Yeah, that hit me a little differently. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah they had 54 yeah, yeah. games that. and all that. I do because, remember that, and then they fell off. Yeah, because I covered Lynn his rookie year, and so that was a whole yeah. different thing for me to see it from the side as opposed to being in it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, anything I else mean, it would, definitely generate, it would definitely generate more interest in our sport. So Some buzz. Some clicks. From the perspective of people reading stuff we write, then yeah, I guess that would be good. So I gotta start taking like a site manager and not like a fan. Come on, Mike, be a company man (laughs) for once in your life. Uh, Anything else you guys want to talk about? No, man, I think we're good. good. This is fun. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you guys so much. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks again to Mike Prada and Robbie Callen for taking the time to come on. You can read Mike. He's the NBA editor for SB Nation, and you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Prada, S-B-N, M-I-K-E-P-R-A-D-A-S-B-N. And Robbie Callen writes not only about the NBA, but he's also a very talented college football and golf writer, among other things, for CBS Sports. And you can follow him on Twitter at rcalland, R-K-A-L-L-A-N-D. I appreciate both of them coming on. As I said at the outset, this is the first of the division capsules. There will I will do every single team over the course of the next couple months. I'm hoping to have everyone done by October 1st. It might be a little bit later. And have some really great guests lined up for that. Some first-time guests, some of my favorites. And I don't tell people for Real Jam Radio who my guests are ahead of time just in case something happens, but you will be excited by it. I will Once an episode is recorded, I will say who it is, and I'll be out there. I think that's the best way to do it. So I'm not really necessarily looking for insight into guests, though if you have somebody in mind and you feel strongly, you can always reach out. Best way to get in touch with me is probably Twitter. My Twitter handle is Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. Also, Daniel.LaRue at RealGM.com is my email address. You can also uh, check out my Facebook page. It's Danny LaRue NBA, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, NBA. And I just I just changed the name from Daniel because I'm kind of transitioning that just to make things easier because I know some people get confused. And, yeah, and there will be more traditional Real GM radios along the way. I actually recorded the same day as this, recorded with Ben Golliver, Sports Illustrated. We did almost two hours on Team USA and a lot of other stuff. I'm incredibly proud of that one as well. And we'll have other ones over the next couple weeks. Real GM Radio is a weekly podcast, but the weekly part of it is a little bit different, but there will be at least four per month during the quote-unquote dead time. Also, if you want to check out the NBA Utopia Project, it's something I started for, with the sporting news, the idea being that other people would write on it, and they absolutely have. I have a couple more pieces for sporting news that are coming out on it. Also, the CBA Encyclopedia at Real GM is still going strong. I'm working on some of my own material and have some great writers that are helping produce the other parts of the backbone of the encyclopedia itself, and we're going to work on some other CBA stuff for the people who are into that. So, Thank you so much for listening. The response to this has been great. I really do appreciate it. And, of course, listen to Dunked On if you don't already. That's the podcast that Nate Duncan does that I'm a frequent guest on. Appreciate that. For whatever podcast like that you like, I encourage you to subscribe to it if you can. Give it a rating because those are things that help with advertisers. Those are things that help us, you know, be able to continue this. And and I've 
been so fortunate that Real Gem has given me this platform. I'm thankful every day for it. And that makes it easier for us to continue that moving forward. And so thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood.